Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, we are uh, continuing a series. This is our last uh, uh, series on uh, angels and demons. And our pastor uh, spoke spoke about uh, the angels and demons. First and foremost, he spoke about God, how God is, is one. God is sovereign. God is omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He, uh, he also spoke about angels, that not only are angels uh, with us, but angels are for us. And he also spoke about uh, demons, the origins of demons, and how demons try to influence the believers, right? And he also talked about Satan, Satan, our adversary, the one who comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. And so today, today I want to talk to you about spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever showed up in a place with the wrong attire or with the wrong clothes. Anybody? You know, years ago, friends of mine, well, they're big uh, Dolphin fans or Miami Dolphin fans. And for those who don't know, Miami Dolphins are a football team. And they were playing the Oakland Raiders. And so they decided that they were going to drive up to Oakland and watch the Miami Dolphins play the Oakland Raiders. So they invited me and you know, when we got to the Oakland Coliseum, I didn't want to be left out. And so I asked my friend, hey, can you let me borrow one of the uh, one of your jerseys, a dolphin jerseys? Boy, that was a mistake. Oh, praise, God. Yeah, praise God. Who said praise God? <laughs> I got to tell you, I wasn't praising God. I was praying. <laughs> you know, the minute we got to the Oakland Coliseum, when we got out of our car, uh, we were hurtled insults. They were throwing stuff at us. They told us that we weren't going to get out of there alive. When we got to our seats, they were throwing beers at us, cans and peanuts. I mean, I had to go to the bathroom, but I didn't even want to get up because I said, if I go to the bathroom, I'm not going to come out of here alive. <laughs> That's how bad it was. And so we got this when, when the game was over. By the way, the Miami Dolphins beat the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> and when, we, uh, when, when the, the game was over, we had to get escorted by security to our cars, yeah. So what I'm trying to say is that the Raiders represent the devil. Normally kidding. Normally <laughs> kidding. Amen. Hey man, someone say. Now what I'm trying to say is that you know we showed up to the Raider game with the wrong attire. You know, and we paid the consequences. And the reason why the devil is wreaking havoc in your life, the reason why the devil is wreaking havoc in your marriage, and the reason why the devil is wreaking havoc in your children and your lives is because you, as a Christian, are walking around with the wrong attire. And today I want to talk to you about putting on 
the armor of God. Now there in your outline, if you would pull it out, if you didn't receive an outline, just raise your hands and one of the ushers will bring one to you. There in your outline, we want to read. It says, if you have it, it says, finally be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the schemes, the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of, of the dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. Everybody say stand. Stand your ground. And after you have done everything, everybody say stand. Stand firm. Everybody say stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, the book of, uh, the book of Ephesians was written uh, by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Now, the Apostle Paul, he planted this church in his second missionary trip. In his third missionary trip, uh, he stayed with the Ephesians or the Ephesus or, or Ephesians for three years. Now, the Ephesians was, was Paul's, Paul's letter. He, he really loved the Ephesians. If you read the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is divided into three chapters, three and three. The first three chapters, the, the Apostle Paul talks about who we are in Christ Jesus. And then the next three chapters, he moves from the theological to the practical. Now, more letters were written to this church, or more was written to this church than any other church. Yeah. We find the Apostle Paul who had written, first of all, to the letter to the Ephesians. And then he writes two more letters to the pastor of the Ephesian church, which was Timothy. And then we find in Revelation that another letter was written to the Ephesians. Now, the Ephesians were believers who had developed a, a, a discernment when it came to false teachers and heresy. But along the way, something happened to the Ephesian church. For the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 2 that they had abandoned they had forsaken their first love. Now, how many of you remember your first love? Now, don't answer if you're married. Because huh? <laughs> your wife is probably next to you. <laughs> but something happened on the way there. Something happened on their walk. Satan came along. And Ephesians is one of the uh, prison epistles, along with Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, well, the Apostle Paul was, was under arrest. 
Now, it's interesting that these prison letters, I, I like the letter to the, to the Philippians because the letter of the Philippians is, is known as the, uh, the book of joy. And the Apostle Paul, while he was in prison, check this out, while the Apostle Paul was in prison, he said, rejoice always. And again, I tell you to rejoice. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Paul in prison tells us to rejoice. You know why he tells us to rejoice? I know I'm getting a little bit offline, but it's my preaching and I can preach whatever I want. <laughs> the Apostle Paul in prison said rejoice. You know why he, he could say rejoice? Because his hope wasn't on his present circumstances. His hope was in Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The Apostle Paul knew that he gained nothing six feet under the floor. He knew that the moment he, he left this world to the next, that he was going to be in the presence of the Lord. That's why he could say, to be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. Praise God. What I'm trying to say is your circumstances don't determine your joy. Your hope is not in your present circumstances. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul, like I said, he was chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. Can you imagine that? Being chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. And he used their armor as a metaphor for fighting spiritual warfare. And he talked about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 20, as we read. Now, let me say this. That spiritual conflict is inevitable. We are all going to experience spiritual conflict. The devil, the enemy, is going to come to us at one point in our lives to derail us, to defeat us, to destroy us. But like I said, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in God. And that's who we rely on. You are going to face a spiritual battle. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you are going to experience hardship. But that doesn't determine your life. You don't have to be defeated by the enemy because Christ on Calvary's cross already defeated the enemy. And if he already defeated the enemy, let me tell you that you have more power than you think because you have Jesus. You have the power of God in your life. Can someone say amen? amen. Now, all of us have been called to fight. All of us have been called to fight. Now, the question is, are you ready to fight? Now, I'm not talking about when you meet someone on the freeway and you cut them off. I'm not talking about that fight, right? But all of us have been called to battle. All of us have been called to fight. And the question is, are you ready to fight? You see, we are at war with Satan. And I'm not here to glamorize bloodshed. No, that's not the war that I'm talking about. Because in the previous scriptures, the Apostle Paul talked about children and wives and so on and so forth. Because the battlefield is in our homes. The battlefield is in our schools. The battlefield is in our jobs, praise God. We are not at war with the sisters of perpetual indulgence or whatever you call them. We are not at war with Bud Light. We are not at war with the LGBT community. We are at war with Satan. 
For the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and spiritual darkness and wicked places. Let me tell you that those are just minions. Those are just the Satan's slaves that he is using to war against us. But let me tell you, at the end of the book of Revelation, it tells us that we win. We are winners, praise God. We are winners, praise God. Because God is on our side. Can someone say amen? amen? Praise God. So verse 10, there in your outline, it begins with the word finally. Finally. And it indicates that Paul is concluding this, his letter. And in his conclusion, he gives many imperatives. Be strong. Turn around to your neighbor and tell him, be strong. He tells them, put on. Turn around to your neighbor, put on. He tells them, take up. He tells them to keep alert. And then finally he says, stand. We are to stand, praise God. We are to stand. You know, the, the apostle Paul told the Corinthian church in, in 1558, not the year, the, uh, the chapter and the verse, <laughs> He tells them, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We are to stand firm. We are to take a stand. When the winds and the waves and the enemy comes, we are to stand upon the rock, which is Christ Jesus. We are to stand on his word. We are to stand with Jesus. You realize that there are only two areas in life, two areas in the Bible where it tells us to flee. Two areas where it tells us to flee. The first is sexual immorality and the love of money. As one preacher put it, we are supposed to flee from honeys and money. Come on. But what does Paul mean to be stronger, to stay? To be strengthened in the Lord means to be strength in his might. What Paul is saying here is strength is something we received from the Lord. I'm talking about physical strength because Nestor and I, we went to the gym and he's, he's getting buffed and, and uh, I'm getting jealous. But that's not the strength that I'm talking about. The strength that I'm talking about is the strength that comes from the Lord. And the Apostle Paul here is referring to Jesus. And Paul knew this personally because knowing the temptations that the Apostle Paul experienced where he had plenty and the Bible says that he hungered, he wrote this. He said, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ that strengthen me. Paul put it another way. Look at verse 11 there in your eyeline. He says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, the Apostle Paul, he was using a Roman soldier. As I mentioned, Paul was chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. And Paul mentions the whole armor of God. He says this armor is available to us, but we need to put it on. We need to put it on. God is not going to put it on for you. He has called us to battle. He has called us to war. And he has made available an armor 
so that we will be able to defend and fight and win the enemy. But we have to take that initiative of putting it on. God is not going to put it on for you. You have to put it on. And Paul begins by helping us see what we need. He says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, another important word here is scheme. In the Greek, it means cunning. It means crafty. It means trickery or deceit. Now, conceited people think they're more clever than anybody, right? But nobody can outsmart the devil. He'll defeat us every time. Without God's help, let me tell you that we have no power to stand against the enemy. But the Apostle Paul further explains in verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now check this out. It's, it's, it's fascinating. It's a, it's, it's a very fascinating verse that Paul is pulling back the curtain on a frightening spiritual reality. I mean, who knew that all of this was against us? Who knew that all these powers were against us? That all these powers are vastly superior to us? And that all of these are con colluding and conspiring with the devil himself. It sounds like we're totally outmatched, right? Sounds like we can't do it, right? But let me remind someone this morning, and let me tell someone this morning that we have the most powerful force in the universe. Three people said amen. I said we have the most powerful force in the universe. We have God on our side. And when we have God on our side, let me tell you that there is no devil in hell that will be able to come against us. That there is no devil in hell that will be able to derail us. That there's no devil in hell that will be able to defeat us. That there's no devil in hell that will be able to, to knock us out because we have the most powerful force in the universe. We have God on our side. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? Nobody can be against us because we got God on our side. Free said amen. I said, we got God on our side. We got the Lord Jesus Christ on our side. That should make us shout. That should make us clap. That should make us say hallelujah. We got God on our side. Praise God. You know, in this verse, Paul's point was not to scare us. And if you've read this verse and you're shaking your boots, oh, the enemy, no, stop shaking. But because Paul's point here is not to scare us. It's just to show us that we need the whole armor of God, as he already said. You know, God's power for us in Christ Jesus is above every evil power. But if we don't clothe ourselves with Christ, if we don't put on the armor of Christ, no matter how confident we may feel, let me tell you, you are like a sitting duck waiting for the enemy to destroy you. So how can we put on the armor of God? Well, this passage can be applied to our lives and in the same way uh, it was written many years ago. 
even though uh, we may not be familiar with putting on the armor uh, for spiritual battle like a, a Roman soldier, uh, it gives us an idea of how to put it on. Now, the armor of God represents the defense of our spiritual lives. The Bible tells us that we are fighting a war against Satan, Satan who seeks to devour us, who seeks to destroy us. Therefore, we as Christians must put on the armor of God. And it's important for us, very important for us, to understand the severity of this battle. Listen to me, church. It's in, as, as Christians, as believers, it's important for us to understand the severity of this battle. So oftentimes we cannot see it physically, but and it's easy to lose sight of the impact it'll have. And it's a dangerous thing when we forget to equip ourselves in the armor of God. So how are we to put on the armor of God? Or how can we put on the armor of God? First, the very first thing, we are to put the belt of truth. And you can write that down. The belt of truth. The belt of truth. The very first piece of armor that Paul discusses is the belt of truth. You know, it's not enough to have the truth. Right? It's not enough to have the truth. You need to know the truth. Right? And when you know the truth, the truth is going to set you free. Can I get a witness? You can have all the truth you want, but if you don't know the truth, it's not going to set you free. And the first piece of armor that the Apostle Paul discusses is the belt of truth in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Of all the pieces of the armor of God, you may be wondering why Paul started with the belt. However, the, the belt plays a much more important role than we think. The belt is where the Roman soldiers stored their weapon. Without a belt, they couldn't carry a weapon. So why does Paul associate the belt of a soldier with truth? Well, for Christians, God's word is truth. And it serves as a foundation. As I said, it's not enough to have the truth. You need to know the truth to set you free. Amen? Look at what 2 Timothy 3.16 says. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is used for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. In our beliefs, we need to be rooted. We need to be grounded in God's word. We need to be rooted and grounded in God's word. And I'm afraid that many Christians are rooted and grounded in something else. In social media, on Facebook, 
on Instagram. You spend more time on social media than you do on the word of God. Let me tell you, and I realize that, that, that this is hard, but, but let me tell you, we need to be rooted and grounded in God's word because when we are rooted and grounded in God's word, let the enemy come because we can stand on his word and nothing will sway us from his power because we got his word in our lives. And when we got his word in our lives, it'll come into our heart. And when it comes into our heart, it'll go to our mind. And when it goes into our mind, it'll come out of our mouth. Praise God. So that we can, we can say God is with us. We need to be rooted and grounded in God's word. Can someone say amen? Now, just as a belt is worn close to the body, we should hold God's truth to allow it to surround us. You see, when we remain in his word, we can distinguish what is true and what is not true. With that being said, I, I, I want to encourage you today to apply this concept of the Apostle Paul when he wrote the belt of truth in your life. Hold on to God's truth. Remain in his truth. Be equipped by his truth. Read his truth because one day the enemy will come and when you are rooted and grounded in his in his word, nothing will be able to destroy you. Can I get a witness? The second is the breastplate of righteousness. And you can write that down. The breastplate of righteousness. Now notice what it says. Stand firm then with a well, excuse me, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate was a central part of the Roman soldier's armor. It provided protection for the torso, which contains the organs like the heart, the lung, and so on and so forth. Now, without the breastplate, a soldier would be asking for sure death, as any attack could instantly kill the soldier. It was a very important part. You see, a soldier could be wounded in the extremities. I mean, a soldier could live without an arm. He could live without a leg. But he couldn't live without a lung. He couldn't live without a heart. So it was very important for a soldier to wear the breastplate, the breastplate of righteousness. So why does Paul call it the breastplate of righteousness? Well, if we don't protect ourselves with righteousness, we open ourselves to the attacks of the enemy. And let me tell you that we will fall into sin. Now, to be righteous means to obey God's commandment and live honorably for him. Look at there in your online. Psalms 106.3 says, How blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. We are to put the breastplate of righteousness the Apostle Paul says that we were justified by faith. And the word justified means to be called righteous or not guilty, right? We were justified by faith. We were declared righteous, praise God, or not guilty. Anybody ever been to court? Anybody ever been to court? I remember when I went to court. <laughs> I got this ticket, and um, the judge said, hey, 
you could either spend a weekend in jail or 80 hours of community service. Well, there's no way I was going to spend time in jail. So I got the 80 hours of community. How many have ever been in jail? Don't answer that. <laughs> but if you've ever been to court, a judge will either declare you guilty or not guilty. Let me tell you, the, when you came to Christ Jesus, you were justified by faith. You were declared not guilty. Praise God. The enemy might come and whisper in your ear and tell you that you are a nobody. He might come and whisper in your ear and tell you that, you, you, that, 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 that there's no hope for you. He might come and whisper in your ear and tell you other things that are not godly and unrighteous. But let me tell you that God has already justified us. He has declared us not guilty. He has declared us righteous. And when the enemy comes against us, we need to take a stand and say, devil, get thee behind me. Praise God, because I got God on my side and the breastplate of righteousness devil you ain't got nothing on me because i have the blood of jesus christ upon my life and the breastplate of his righteousness that will cleanse me that will direct me that will cleanse me from all sin can someone say amen, amen. praise god the next thing we are to put on the shoes of the gospel of peace now look at what it says and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, shoes serve two purposes for a Roman soldier. One, for a sure, sure footing. And another one was for, uh, as a weapon, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers often used boots. And under their boots, they had spikes. And when they would fight, oftentimes, and I know this sounds a little uh, morbid maybe, but they would stomp on the, uh, the, uh, the enemy's head uh, for a sure kill. So the shoes with the spikes served it to two purposes. One for a sure footing and the other one for a weapon. We need to be like that. We need to have a sure footing. Can I get a witness somewhere? We need to have a sure footing that, that, that when the storms of life come, that when the winds start to blow, that when the enemy tries, we have a sure foundation, that we are planted upon the rock, which is, which is Christ Jesus, that we have a sure foundation in Christ Jesus. Not only were the shoes worn as a sure foundation, but they were also worn as a weapon. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this, that Satan has no place in your marriage, that Satan has no place with your children, that Satan has no place at your job, that Satan has no place in your home, that Satan has no place in your life, praise God. Our feet should be used as weapons. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 16 and verse 20, he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The only place Satan has, let me tell you, is under your feet. 
Let me remind someone again. I said, the only place that Satan has is under your feet. He, he, he has no business in your marriage. He has no business in your children. He has no business in your job. He has no business in church. The only place Satan needs to be, let me tell you, is under your feet. Under your feet. How many can stomp your feet? Come on, stomp your feet. That's where Satan belongs. Under your feet. Praise God. Let's give God a hand praise. You see, when the storms of life come, you can be steady because, like I said, we are standing upon the rock, which is Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us to stand firm with our feet, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, it may be strange to consider shoes a part of the armor, but as you can imagine, can you imagine going to battle shoeless? Now, I love shoes. You can ask my wife. <laughs> I think I have more shoes than she does. I think I do. <laughs> you know, a couple, of, uh, a couple of years ago, Nike came out with this shoe that had carbon fiber uh, thing in the front. And uh, Nestor, he's getting better than I am at running. You know, I tell him I'm 10 years older than you are, but... You know, the guy's running like a gazelle, and I'm right behind him, you know. But when these shoes came out, I said, man, this is great. You know, maybe I could, you know, buy these shoes, and, and um, you know, they'll propel me because they have, like, a carbon fiber fitting. And I'm not going to tell you how much they cost me because my wife is here. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember I bought them, and sure enough, I put them on, and I called Master, hey, let's go running. And I was going to show them off. You know, I was going to beat them. And when I put them on, anybody remember when they were kids when you got new shoes and you put them on and you thought you could run faster than, you know, you tried them on and you run. Anybody or am I the only crazy guy here? <laughs> yeah, but I put them on and he still beat me. You know, I thought these shoes were going to be good for me. You know, I just, I just. Thought I'd throw that in. It has nothing to do with my sermon. I just, like I said, it's my, my, it's my sermon and I can preach whatever I want. So I, I just thought I'd throw that in here. <laughs> so, so how can it be related to, to our shoes? Well, we must understand what the gospel of peace is. First and foremost, the gospel means the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's primarily referring to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And as a result, it brings us peace. It brings us peace. Anybody ever show up to work on Monday morning? Everybody's hungover, but you walk in like nonchalant. Hey, someone said amen. You know why? Because the Bible tells us that God will give us a peace that will pass all understanding. While, every, while everything around us is wreaking havoc. You, know, you, work, you, you show up to work on Monday morning whistling. Hey, what's wrong with this guy? Hey, you got a peace that passes all understanding because you have the gospel of peace. And as Christians, we are called to share the good news of Christ with others. Having our shoes fitted with the gospel of peace allows us to do, do this successfully. Look at what it says. It's uh, in, uh, there in your outline. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, with God's strength, we can be brave in sharing our faith with others. Why? Because Jesus already defeated death so that we don't have to be be afraid. Our shoes equip us to walk through rough areas in life. Amen. In the same way, having hope in Jesus helps us walk through trials and temptations and, and hardship. John 16, look at what it says. It says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Your shoes, the gospel of peace is very important because it allows you to walk through those trials. It allows you to walk through those situations with peace in your heart, knowing that God is with you, praise God. That's why the psalmist could utter those words, though I walk, though I walk, though I walk through the valleys of the shadows of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the pastor is with me? Because I go to day spring? Because I say a prayer? No. Though I walk through the valleys of the shadows of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Praise God. Can someone say amen? God is with us. Praise God. This next is a shield of faith. The shield of faith. And you could write that down. Now, the fourth piece of armor that Paul discusses in Ephesians chapter 6, he says this, he says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. He tells us to take up the shield of faith in order to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, for a Roman soldier, a shield was used as a form of protection. It was worn, it was worn, strapped around one's arm. Uh, It could be held uh, to deflect the attacks. In addition, it could be used as, as an offensive weapon to knock his enemies down with force. But what does it mean to have faith? And how can we relate this to the shield of faith? Well, look at what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says. It says there in your outline, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, faith is more than a feeling. Faith is more than a feeling. To have faith is to believe God created the world and sent his only son to die for our sins that we might have eternal life. Amen? And as Christians, the faith we have in Christ is based on reality. Now look at what Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says. It's there in your outline. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Even though we cannot physically see God, he has manifested himself through creation. Therefore, our faith is based on him and based on truth. So if we have faith in Christ Jesus, 
let me tell you that this will influence the way we live. Let me say that again. If we have faith in Christ Jesus, this will influence the way we live. Our faith can guard us during trials. The same way a shield guarded a Roman soldier in battle, that's what faith does. It will guard us. For example, when doubt creeps in and our beliefs are questioned, our faith in Christ will protect us. We can stand firm knowing what we believe. We can stand firm knowing that there is a God in heaven. We can stand firm on his word, knowing that it doesn't matter what the enemy tries. It doesn't matter how the enemy does it. It doesn't matter how the enemy's going to do it. We can stand firm with a shield of faith, knowing that God is real, that God is true, and that God lives in me. That's what it means. Praise God. In addition, our faith can be protected. It can protect us when we experience anxiety. And I realize this, and I add this in because I realize anxiety is, is, is real. Look at Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. It says, so do not fear. It's there in your outline. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Now check this out. I love this verse. God speaking, he, will, he said, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. In other words, if we have faith in God's promises, we do not need to fear. If we have faith in God's promises, we do not need to fear. His promises are yes. And amen. I said his promises are yes and amen. God doesn't slack in his promises. He doesn't say something like we are and we take it back, right? When you promise something to your spouse or your kids, right? No, God is not like that. God is a gentleman. He is true to his promises. And if God said it, he is going to complete the work that he started, praise God, because his promises are yes and amen. Can someone say amen? amen. Praise God. Can we give God a hand raise? You know, I love this. Amen. I got to hurry. Amen. I love this. Because the word tells us to fear not. Turn around to your neighbor and tell him, fear not. Turn around to your other neighbor, tell him, fear not. Do you realize this? And if you don't get nothing else, if you thought Manolo was boring, get this. Right? It's the most repeated command in the Bible. You realize that? Fear not. It's the most repeated command in the Bible. Praise God. In fact, it's been said, now I haven't read all the uh, verses that said fear not, but it's been said that there are 365 fears not in the Bible. And how many days of the year do we have? Right, it's a leap year, right? 366. But that's one for every year. Now, it's important to realize that doubt, fear, and anxiety, let me tell you, that they come from the enemy. Can someone say amen? 
Amen. See, taking out the shield of faith will protect us and allow us to fight back against the enemies. Let me tell you that we are unstoppable when we have the shield of faith. I said, we are unstoppable when we have the shield of faith. Someone didn't read it. I said, we are unstoppable when we have the shield of faith. The next, and I'm hurrying here. I got it. The helmet of salvation. And you can write that down, the helmet of salvation. Look at what verse 15 says. Take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. For Christians to receive salvation is to, is to be delivered from sins and the harmful consequences that come along with it. You know, Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price on Calvary's Christ, uh, on Calvary's cross. You know what we deserve? We deserve death. We didn't deserve life. And I've often said this, that it's easier for us to go to heaven than it is to go to hell. Nobody said amen. <laughs> you realize that? It's easier to go to heaven than it is to go to hell. Why? Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You know what a wage is? How many of you get paid every other week or every Friday? Right? That's what a wage is. In other words, you got to work hard. My son, he started to work with us. I, I got him a summer job there. And uh, I'm almost done. I got him a summer job there. And, and, uh, he gets tired. You know, he's not used to work. He's only 17 years old. He, he says, Dad, I don't think I can work a nine-to-five job. <laughs> well, welcome to the real life, you know. Yeah. Welcome, you know. And he got paid the other day. You know, it wasn't much, but he got paid, and he was happy. You know, he wants to buy a car. But the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. In other words, you got to earn your way to hell. That's right. You got you to gotta work your way to hell, brother. But you know what the Bible says? But the gift of God is eternal life. It's a gift. It's been given to you. Hmm? How many have ever re-gifted something? Don't answer that. Because I probably received it. But that's not the way it works. God has given us a gift. And he's not going to take it back like we do when we receive that, uh, that, what do they call that? That sponge cake on Christmas? The, the fruit cake. Oh, that's terrible. Man. <laughs> so for Christmas, don't, don't give me a fruit cake because I don't like fruit cakes. <laughs> right? He's not like that. He, he doesn't re-gift. When God gives you eternal life, he gives you eternal life. Let, let me finish with this because I got to hurry up. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you can write this down. And I'm finishing with this. The sixth piece of armor that Paul discusses here is in Ephesians chapter 6 is a sword of the spirit, which represents the word of God. Now, for a Roman soldier, the sword served as an offensive weapon against the enemies. When sharpened, the sword could pierce through just about anything, making, a, making it a very dangerous tool. It's the word of God. And what I'm afraid of as, as Christians today, is that many Christians are carrying around a dull and rusty sword. Many of Christians are carrying around a dust, a dull and rusty sword. 
The reason why the enemy is wreaking havoc is because you have not placed your eyes on his word. Through God's word, we can distinguish what is right and what is wrong. We can strive to live free from sin. Amen. Because it's the ultimate truth. Look at what John chapter uh, 5 verse 24 says. Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and, and will not be judged, but will cross over from, from death to life. So how can we use the sword of the spirit in our lives? We are not meant to keep the knowledge we gain from God's word to ourselves. We are, when we are asked to defend what we believe, we can use it and point back to him. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations, if you made that prayer, God lives in you, and now you have a new life in Him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.